thank you. Thanks, team. Well, I've been wheeled out of retirement today. <laughs> I did forget how to turn the mic on. <laughs> okay, Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And mourning, as we know, is sorrow because of lost, because someone or something has been lost. And in life, it is inevitable. But it's also true that sorrow opens up to blessings that can't be gained any other way. Life is uncertain. And I love that thing he said in the video when he said, when we want certainty, we're offered presence and the sure knowledge that God is on our side. And I love that because we haven't always got certainty. Do you know what? This may surprise you, but nobody's got all the answers. Nobody has. To a certain extent, we're called to live in faith. We're called to live with mystery. But we have the presence of God, and he's on our side. Death isn't the end because Jesus promised us eternal life. But mourning isn't only when somebody dies. If mourning is sorrow because of lust, even the young and inexperienced will grieve, maybe because they got left out or failed an exam or um, got made to look stupid or whatever. And later on in life, there do come disappointments. The loss of a job or a marriage or a dream. Uh, the grief and perhaps shock when something you thought was going to happen isn't now going to happen. Um, the grief of regret, when you look back and wish so much that you could put the clock back and do it or say it differently. The mourning that absolutely swamps you if you know that you failed. Not to mention the mourning for a world in turmoil. When we see that a baby has frozen to death in a refugee camp or yet another teenager has been stabbed to death in the street. All of this loss is inevitable in life. And perhaps the hardest to bear is bereavement, the loss of someone you love. Now, <coughs> I expect you've already heard that the Greek word here, blessed, is makarios, meaning happy, even joyful. And it seems wrong in this context, doesn't it? Because we think we're blessed when good things happen. So we say, I'm blessed with a, a family or friends or a house or a job. We even say it about the weather, don't we? The Lord blessed us with good weather, which he didn't in February, but never mind. Um, but here is Jesus saying, blessed are you when you're mourning. Blessed, happy in mourning. You know, I do believe that one day every one of us will look back and we'll see that spiritual blessings came our way in adversity, that God didn't let us down. Indeed, he gave us something that we didn't have before. But you don't know this until you've lived through it. I don't want this message to sink into a mire of misery. I want rather to name some of the blessings that come our way in mourning. And the first blessing is that when we lose control, and we, that's when we learn to trust God, because he is in control, sorrow does make us question everything. Now, I know some of you are really spiritual and full of faith, and you might say, I never ask God, why me, Lord? I never ask that question. Well, good. But, you know, some people do, because mourning brings confusion. 
And really, I want to be the person that stands up and says, you can't offend God. If you're in turmoil, you can be honest with him. There have been times in my life when I've had so much uncertainty that I, I feared that all my faith was going to unravel. But it never happens because underneath it all is God. And he's the one who knows all the answers. You know that verse in the Old Testament that says, underneath are the everlasting arms. My mind goes around in circles trying to understand things and figure them out and figure out God's purpose. But the solid rock that underpins our faith is that he knows the truth because he is the truth. So you don't have to be scared. You don't have to pretend that to be a good Christian you ought to have all the answers. Do you know what? I've turned into my mother. Because <laughs> my mother always used to say, I've just got a simple faith in Jesus and it's enough. And what did he say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he's all we need. And he echoed God's word to Moses. I am who I am was the name by which God wanted to be known. Moses got a glimpse of God. He hid behind a rock and God passed by. And it says, he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Well, we get more than a glimpse, don't we? Because we've got Jesus We've got God made man, the exact representation of the Father. And Jesus said, I am, because he is God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we get more than a glimpse. Now, somebody was talking to me recently about what happens to you when you die. And I was thinking about a funeral I went to once of an old lady whose husband had died years before, and the vicar had never met either of them. But he didn't stop him making this really cheesy speech about the moment she passed, she went through a gate and there was a beautiful mansion and the door was flung open and there was her husband with his arms wide open to welcome her. And I thought, oh. And somebody else said, I don't believe in that. I believe in soul sleep until the last day and so on. And do you know what? I turned into my mother again because I thought, Jesus knows. And it's enough, isn't it? It is enough. That's why on my mum's grave it says, safe in the arms of Jesus. The main thing to know is that we don't have to earn our place in heaven. We don't have to measure up. It's all in Jesus' hands. When my eldest brother was dying, five days before he died, he had a conversation with Pastor Swain. And he said he was worried about his life and whether it was right and whether he was going to go to heaven. And Pastor Swain said to him, you haven't got to do it. You ask Jesus. Because Jesus said, I am, there it is again, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He is the giver of life because he is life. Death couldn't hold him down and we are safe in his hands. So blessed, happy are those who mourn for they will be comforted knowing Jesus is the, the I am. He's the truth. He's got the answers we haven't got. He's life itself and he is the resurrection. <coughs> Doesn't stop us hurting though, does it? 
And it's good to know we don't grieve the same as those who have no hope, but we do grieve. And the I am is also called El Roi, the God who sees. He didn't miss it when you cried. He didn't miss it when nobody else understood. He didn't miss it in the middle of the night. Do you remember the story of Hagar in the Bible? She was only a servant. Abraham and Sarah got fed up of waiting for God to fulfill his promise of a son. And so he used his wife's servant to produce a son, Ishmael. You know, it never ends well if we try to do God's work for him, does it? I've heard it said that all the problems in the Middle East can be traced back to that one false step. Anyway, they used the servant, Hagar. And then apparently Abraham looked the other way when his wife got jealous and started to ill-treat her. So she ran away and ended up in a desert. And I've always felt sorry for poor Hagar. She probably felt like she didn't matter at all in the grand scheme of things. Abraham and Sarah were the important people. But God saw her and he sent an angel to her. And this is how she responded. This is from the Message Bible. She answered God by name, praying to the God who spoke to her. You're the God who sees me. Yes, he saw me and I saw him. That's how that desert spring got named. The God alive who sees me spring. The God alive sees me. The I am, the ROI sees you. I've got a vivid memory of one day being completely overlooked. Um, and I expect I grieved over it, really. It was a case of being the only woman at a minister's gathering. And I have to say, I was treated quite rudely that day. You know, we always used to say there are only two places where I had to queue up for the loo. That was football matches and pastors' meetings. But anyway, I just felt invisible that day. But do you know why I remember it? Because that very occasion, God gave me a word that meant so much to me. And I still remember it and it still blesses me. He is the God who sees. It's a trivial example, I know. But he sees. He sees it all and he sees you. Blessed, happy are those who mourn for they will be comforted knowing that he sees. He knows. Now, from a trivial story to acknowledging that the pain of loss can be unbearable. And some of you know this. And there might be a time when well-meaning people just can't help you. As we heard in the video, they have stages of mourning in Judaism. Apparently, there is a seven-day period called Shiva, when friends and family can talk to you and you can discuss things. But before that, you're not ready for that. There's a time of intense mourning and lamentation. And cliches would be so inappropriate at that time. I remember once when somebody lost a baby and their wise old pastor said, just now, silence is golden. Sometimes there are no words. You know, if you've ever had your heart broken, you can be paralyzed by grief. I was heartbroken once and it paralyzed me. I was grieving for things I thought were going to happen that were not now going to happen. And I, at first, I couldn't even pray. And I don't remember any sort of pressure from God. You know, you've got to search the scriptures. I think at first, he just sat with me. And that is very important knowing that he was near. The Bible says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's close. 
it sounds a bit sentimental, I know, but I remember going to sleep at night, imagining him sitting beside me, because he was. When there's nothing you can do, when somebody's pain is unimaginable, and when the news from around the world is overwhelming, and people are saying, how can you believe in God when these things happen? All we've got is the presence the presence of the compassionate and gracious God. You know, Jesus was an emotional being. A leper came to him and begged him to make him well. And it says, Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. And then when Lazarus was dead, Jesus knew very well that he was going to raise him up. So why does it say Jesus wept? Why was he weeping when he knew what he was about to do? He knew that their tears would change to laughter very soon. But this is what it actually says. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then it says, Jesus wept. He knows everything will turn out all right for you. He knows that he's overcome your death, but that doesn't mean that he is indifferent to your grief. He cared enough to give his life to defeat our last enemy, and he cares enough to weep when you weep. I don't believe there's another religion in the world that knows of our God's compassion. Blessed, happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted by the presence the presence of the God who isn't indifferent and is not a million miles away, even compassionate enough just to sit with you and weep with you when you're in pain. Now, after somebody dies, it might take a while, but you look back and you remember the word God gave you at that time. Our family, we've had our fair share of loss, but it's the word that God gave me that I've never forgotten and it becomes a favourite scripture. It becomes the word that you share with other people when it's their turn. Every time I do a funeral, I remember that God gave me that line from Isaiah. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He's been there, worn the t-shirt, so to speak. He's by no means unfamiliar with human sorrow. And so many times I've been able to say to families, yes, Grief really does hurt, but he knows what you're going through. He's well acquainted with this experience. And that was a powerful word for me. And I would say to you, when you're in pain, don't turn away from God. Catherine Marshall, the writer, she was a very godly woman. But after her granddaughter died... She did turn away from God at first. She was so convinced that if they prayed without ceasing, if their faith didn't fail, the baby would recover, but she died. And Catherine cut herself off from the comfort of God's word. She went into what they call the dark night of the soul, when nothing got through to her and the heavens were as brass. She was so depressed, she didn't even want to get out of bed. I mean, at first she was angry with God, but then she didn't even have the energy to be angry. She was overwhelmed by sorrow and disappointment. And perhaps she was stubborn, but who are we to judge? Because it really was a great loss. 
And this went on for months until gently and gradually the Holy Spirit led her to get up early each morning and read the Psalms and praise him even though she didn't feel like it. And over time, God's word pierced the darkness because that's what God's word does. It pierces the darkness. Blessed, happy are those who mourn for they will be comforted by the word. Somewhere along the line, he will speak to you and it will be uniquely right for you. Now, just to lighten this, does anybody read We're Going on a Bear Hunt to Their Children? You'll get to know this story, Paul. You will. Um, You know, every time they come to an obstacle, what do they say? Oh, no, we can't get over it. We can't get under it. We've got to go through it. You know it, yeah. In the video, they said loss is part of life. These are the terms. This is how it is. We have got to go through it. But I wonder if you've ever held off the pain, being in denial, not wanting to face up to something. In some situations, we do practice denial. Nobody asks for sorrow and loss, but we've got to go through it because these are the terms and it is the road to maturity. In our culture, our modern culture, we live our lives taken up with a lot that is superficial. You know, the telly, social media, the soundbite politics, the fast pace of life, running from one thing to another. Even our devotions are on the run. Get your quiet time over and done with and on to the next thing. But God isn't always evident in the superficial things of life. They just provide a cover for the inner being that he is so interested in getting to. Grief and loss tend to open up the soul, to expose the hidden dimensions in us that we've been neglecting. The knowledge of our own mortality the fears we never allowed ourselves to face, the self-esteem issues that we covered up until failure or rejection forced it into the open. And we, children of the modern age, in all of this superficial stuff, we are forced to recognize that there is a deep place of the soul crying out for God. Psalm 42 says, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls, All your waves and breakers have swept over me. This is a psalm that expresses longing for God. We all know the first line. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. How did that longing come about? Because the writer was drowning in sorrow. Events had swept over him and it made him desperate for God. And that's what mourning does. It makes us desperate for God. It causes you to put aside the superficial as deep calls to deep, which is exactly what Paul prayed for for the Ephesians. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is the road to Christian maturity, but nobody asks for sorrow. You know, we ask God things like, Lord, give me greater faith. Make me whole, Lord. Make me complete in Christ. We ask for those things, but it's usually when stuff happens that God answers those prayers. James said, count it as joy when trials come. Well, that's not going to be a natural reaction, isn't it? To count it as joy. 
But he's talking about a deliberate reckoning. Count it as joy because it's the road to maturity. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that's God's goal for us to make us whole. In the light of the kingdom, in the light of spiritual warfare, in the spiritual realm, there may be more going on than we are aware of. I'm sure we all know the story of poor old Job. When we read that story, we're in on the secret. We know, because we get it explained right at the beginning, that he's caught up in this kind of cosmic contest. But he didn't know that. He didn't know that his perseverance was going to prove that the devil's a liar. Job lost everything until even his wife told him to give up. Curse God and die, she said which was exactly what the devil had said he would do if all his blessings were taken away. But Job made a decision. He said, I'm going to trust God even if he kills me. Not knowing that decision had the angels in heaven singing glory to God. Because we can glorify God when we trust him through our sufferings. And that's a privilege nobody asks for. But the Bible says when Jesus entered our blood, sweat and tears, he was bringing many sons to glory. It says in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Jesus never sinned, but through suffering he perfected his incarnation. That word perfect there, it means complete. It means a goal accomplished. It means a successful conclusion. Echoed in those words from the cross, it is finished. He's in glory, we're going to glory. And nothing can change that. The devil will accuse you. And he always knows which buttons to press, but he's not saying it all, is he? Jesus has the last word. Blessed, happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. They will be made whole and mature and complete. They will share in his glory. So what have I said? I've said that there are these great blessings that come to us in times of mourning. Because we have the solid rock sureness that Jesus is the resurrection. He will accomplish our salvation. He is the life. He is the God who sees. He is present with you. His word will strengthen you. He will make you whole and complete and he will bring you to glory. We have all of that. But even all of that doesn't alter the fact that grief really hurts. And there are probably times for all of us when we think, if this is what it takes, I'm not sure if I want everything that I've prayed for because it really, really hurts. And so I don't want to offend anybody by appearing to underestimate the power of the grief and the loss that you're going through. But I would just say, remember this. Neither death... Life, angels, demons, the present, the future, any powers, height, depth, 
anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's worth amen, isn't it? Come on, team. We're going to pray. Um, As the team just play for 